parents get more stressed out or the children? Okay, if you think the parents uh, get more stressed out, put up your hand. Put up your hand. I want to see. Put up your hand. Give me a wave. If you think it's the children that get more stressed out, put up your hand. Okay, it's, it's, it's a few here and there. And so um, my daughter is turning seven years old this year, and she is in primary one. She started in January this year, and she's very stressed about exams. You know? And no matter how much we try to, um, to, to relax her and assure her, you know, she, she's, just, she's the oldest child, so she's, you know, oldest child. How many of you are oldest children here? And, and they get very stressed out about doing the perfect best job. And it's difficult for her because she grows up in a home, in a household that does not speak a word of Chinese and does not speak a word of uh, Bahasa Melayu. Okay, and so we only speak English, you know, that's mainly my fault. And so she has to learn two languages from scratch, and she's just starting from scratch. And so, you know, um, I'm really empathized with her, but she was so stressed. Sunday night, she was just crying because this whole week she ate exams. And uh, she actually woke up the whole night whimpering, you know, she would be half asleep, and then she'd wake up and she'd, <laughs> you know. And I remember the conversation I had with her the night before, and I told her, Nat, don't worry. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of how you are so responsible. And I'm telling you the truth when I tell you the result does not matter to me because I have seen that you have worked hard and that you have done your best. So just go and do it and don't worry about it. You know, and she was kept on crying. You know, children, it's very hard to get through to them when they're already in that uh, mode, as well as wives, okay, but mainly children, all right? <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that just slipped out. Um, but um, so she was crying, and then she said, I'm so scared. What if I get zero? And she kept on crying. So I wanted to make a point, and I was getting a little bit, you know, impatient. I didn't know what to say, so I told her, Nat, I don't care if you get zero. It's not important to me at all. I'm proud of you regardless. And I thought that was going to get through to her, right? Even if you get zero and you come back, I love you and I'm proud of you. I told her that. And I thought that would do the trick. <sighs> she looked back at me with tears in her eyes and she said, You might not care, but I care. <laughs> it might not be important to you, but it's important to me. Oh, man. I'm talking about my child, okay? Not my wife, so my child. Let's focus here. And, <laughs> and I was preparing for this message today, and God spoke to me at that moment, and He said, sometimes we come to God the same way. You know, and He tells us, I'm proud of you. I love you. It doesn't matter what the result is in this situation. And then you scream at him and you say, but God, it matters to me. Even if it's not important to you, it's important to me. And you begin to realize that God's perspective sometimes is so different from our own perspective. God's perspective of what success is, God's perspective of what significance is, 
is completely different from what we are chasing sometimes. And that really spoke so clearly to me. And you know, many times when we're preparing for a sermon, God takes us through certain processes that help it become a bit more alive to ourselves before we share it. You know, and we're in the middle of a powerful series, Best Version of You. And we have, you know, heard such an encouraging message so far, you know, where God takes us through a beautiful process in order to bring new wine out of our lives, right? Amen? And we've heard that, that it's, we, we should not have limiting mindsets of fear and doubt so that we can step out into the destiny that God has in store for us. And so as I was preparing this message and going through this with my daughter, I, I heard him saying, Roger, have you stopped to consider that my perspective is different from yours in terms of what you think is achievement, what you think is success? Have you stopped to consider that what you are visualizing as your best version of yourself is completely different from what I see as the best version of you? And that really spoke to me. And not only that, he took me to a very interesting verse. Today we're, we're going to focus on one verse. And it's the second most popular verse, you know, most searched verse on many databases such as Bible Gateway. The first most popular is John 3.16. How many of you said that? Someone said that. Very clever. Henry is smart. <laughs> and what do you think is the second most popular verse that is searched? It's from Jeremiah 29.11, and some of you would have already memorized it. Such a famous verse, and that's why I was struggling with God. Should I really preach on this verse? Because it is used so often, quoted so often, prayed so often, that a lot of people have emotions and experiences attached to this verse already. And we use it so often that it's sometimes it's important to understand a little bit of the story of what happened when this word was released, a little bit of the context of the, the author of the, uh, in, in the Bible where, where when he wrote this uh, verse, when he released this prophecy, what was going on in order for us to understand a little bit more about how we use it as well. Is that okay? All right. So we're, let's go to the verse. All right. It's just one verse. Can we read it together? Are you ready? One, two, three. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. How many, how many of you love this verse? That in your life, somewhere along your journey, it has made an impact in your life. I saw so many hands just now. It, it is such a powerful verse, an encouraging verse. And... Um, it's interesting because when Jeremiah prophesied this verse, if you read through the story, Israel is going through the most terrible of times. Jeremiah, the prophet himself, is going through the most terrible of times when he releases this powerful prophecy. In the eyes of the world, in the standards of the world, Jeremiah would be considered a miserable failure, complete disastrous failure. 
He was appointed as God's prophet, and his ministry lasted about 40 years. In that 40 years, he never stopped declaring the truth of God, but no one listened to him in his entire ministry. Everyone rejected what he was saying. Everyone rejected what, what the truth that he was declaring. Everyone rejected the prophecies that he was declaring. Imagine going for 40 years and not seeing any impact in your ministry. No one listened at all. He was thrown in prison by his own people because they didn't like what he was. They didn't like what he was prophesying. They didn't like what he was saying. Not only that, he was thrown into something called a cistern. And in the olden times, it's, it's, it's this um, uh, vat that is dug out of the stone in order to catch rainwater, a huge like, uh, rock uh, thing where they, they dig out, you know, in order to catch the rainwater for water supplies. He was thrown into that, that cistern as well. And all throughout, he never stopped prophesying. He never stopped speaking God's truth. He never stopped you know, and, and, and lost heart in his ministry for the nation of Israel and for God. So amazing that, you know, every, every one of his steps, he didn't uh, receive any affirmation from the people that he was preaching to. His own family rejected him. His neighbors rejected him. There were false prophets that spoke against him, many false prophecies, and refuted everything he said. The king rejected him. His audience completely rejected him. And in, in that context, he's able to release this powerful passage. And not only that, what, what was Israel going through? It was a, at a time when they had gone into idolatry and God decided to use Babylon, this huge mighty empire, as his hammer to crush them and, and punish them. And so... Yeah, it, they, they were sent off in different waves into exile. And so the Israelites were going through a terrible time as well. They were seeing that they, 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 they've grown up feeling that they're the chosen people, that they're the chosen people under this all-powerful God. And then they see this pagan nation led by pagan gods completely destroy them, completely tear down their temple of God, completely destroy Jerusalem, and then carry them into exile. And Jeremiah himself, as he stayed faithful to God, you know what happened to him? In the second wave of exile, he was chained up and brought into exile in Babylon as well. He was deported there as well. So if you were to see him today, you would consider him a failure. His ministry had no impact. The things he stepped out for God to do did not have any visible breakthrough. Nobody listened to him. And at the end of the day, the Babylonians came and crushed them and took them off into exile. And that was the context where this beautiful verse came from. Isn't that amazing? And so, today, as we go into, into this sermon, we're going to find out that what God considers success is so different from what we consider success. Even what God considers prosperity is very different from what we consider as prosperity as well. And we're going to realize that all of us go through seasons of exile, seasons of insignificance where we question 
where is God in this? God, what is the point of this experience that I'm going through? Why did this have to happen to me? And we're going to look at some of the ways that we're supposed to respond in the word of Jeremiah. Is that okay? All right. I've broken it down very simply into three H's. You know, since I have daughters, it's so easy to do this kind of things. Three A's, three B's, three H's. And um, we're going to go into the word today. So when you're in a season of exile, the first H is that you need to hear from God directly. You need to hear from God directly. You need to know whose voice you're listening to. You look at Jeremiah's example, and we already talked about how he was so sure and firm in his conviction and his call that over 40 years he didn't see any significance in what he was doing on the outside, but yet he continued to stay faithful. It was because he heard from God directly. It wasn't by somebody else telling him something. It wasn't through a situation of success. It wasn't through a situation of miracle or breakthrough, but he heard from God. And it's also a famous uh, verse passage, so I'm going to read what God said to him in the first chapter of Jeremiah. I'm not going to flash it up, but I'm going to read it today. And he said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Even just now when we went through the worship, Huyen released that word that you were, before you were knitted in your mother's womb, God knew you. God already knew you. And He already had a plan for you before you were formed in the womb. And so God spoke this into the heart of Jeremiah. What else did He say? He said, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God has to speak and we have to listen. That's the only way we're going to get through the difficult seasons. That's the only way we're going to stand firm in faithfulness to God when we go through these kind of seasons. Amen? And I just want to share that, um, give me a moment, that when, when, when Jeremiah spoke up, there were false prophets we mentioned just now. And the Bible names two of them, Pashur and Hananiah. There was a very interesting part where um, Jeremiah released a word that the exile would last 70 years. And what happened is Hananiah then rejected what he said and said, no, God has spoke to me. The, the, the oppression of the Babylonians will only last two years, and then God will come and deliver Israel. Which one sounds better to you? Two years? You know, and sometimes if we don't hear the correct voice, we're going to find that there's people that give you false hope. People that will give you a word in the wrong context, 
And then suddenly you're holding on and you're like, yes, my breakthrough is just around the corner. I know it's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, you get crushed with disappointment before God. And you say, God, didn't you speak clearly? You need to go to God directly and hear from Him. And it's the same for all of us who have gone full-time. We, need, we needed to have he- hear from God in order to go and, and, and take up this call that God has given to us. Nothing else can sustain us. Nothing else can call us but God's voice. It's not the benefits we get. You know, it's not the, um, the joy that we get even from, from seeing people um, impacted and, and encouraged. When we go through the most trying of seasons, we always go back to the point where God spoke so clearly to us. And that's the only voice that can sustain us. And God dropped something in my heart this week itself just to affirm me and assure me of my call. You know, and I just want to share a little bit you know, on a personal level. On Wednesday, I went to the prayer meeting and uh, Jocelyn was leading a song called Where You Are. And, you know, there was just a time of soaking and God just began to release something into my heart and speak to me so directly at a time where I wanted, you know, it's a bit of affirmation for my call. I felt him saying, you know, Roger, you know your struggles with your daughter? How you just wish you could catch a glimpse of how you felt for her during this exam season. And then he said to me, Roger, I'm proud of you. I said, God, I haven't done anything. He said, I'm proud of you. And then he said, I have chosen you. And I have called you. Don't worry. He said, even if you don't see ministry impact at this point of time, even if you don't see that the things you do make a difference, have any significance, he said, I'm proud of you. Keep going because you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And you need that kind of direct word that God drops into your heart if you're going to stay faithful in your journey of faith. I mean, it's good to seek out biblical counsel and counsel of people around you, but you're never going to be able to rely on all that human counsel when you go through the worst of times. It's only God's voice that will sustain you. You need to cut through the noise and hear from only one voice. Amen? And so, as we come before God and hear, hear His voice, we also recognize that he, he's, it's worthy to, for Him to be the only voice we hear to or the main voice we hear to because He is our audience as well. And this is, this is something I read recently where it says God, ultimately God is an audience of one. Whatever you live for, whatever you do, ultimately you live for an audience of one. 
at the end of your life, when you stand before God, when you stand before the creator of the universe, when you stand before your creator, and he asks you, how, how did you make your life count for eternity? There is only one person that we are answerable to. Amen? The second H is to honor God in the now. Honor God in the now. And it's interesting when we go into this uh, verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of people jump to this verse, but they don't read the verses right before this verse about how God wants you to be now. Not only that He's got a good plan for you in the future, not only that you focus on that better future, but that there is something happening now as well. So I'm just going to read it out very quickly to you. Once again, I'm not going to flash it up. But this is what God said. All right, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 to 7. It says this, This is what the Lord, God, uh, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He tells them, To not only focus on the future, but to flourish in the present. To flourish even in the land of exile. Even in the land of the, the enemy that they've been carried to. He says, build homes, increase in number. You know, and I, I wrote this sentence in my script, and it's quite funny because on Wednesday I wrote it. it I, I wrote, um, you know, a lot of people always tell me, um, Roger, you have so much potential. <laughs> and I left it there, okay? And then yesterday itself, four people came up to me separately <laughs> and said, Roger, you have so much potential. Okay, I'm not telling this to... Okay, let me explain. <laughs> Sounds so bad. <laughs> Why did I write it? It's because all my life I've been told that I have potential. All right, and, and I, I mean, yesterday's when people told me I take it as a compliment, you know, and, and I'm very happy about it. But at, at a certain point, you begin to wonder, am I ever going to reach my potential? <laughs> Why do people only talk about potential? How about now? You know, am I ever going to realize my potential? Am I always going to be in a place where I'm not there yet and I'm not good enough yet, you know? And maybe it's God's way to keep me as humble as possible. <laughs> but that, that's sometimes how we function as well. We only look forward to the better future that we hope for. And we forget that God has such a good plan now. God has a good plan now, whether you're in a season of insignificance or whether you're in the promised land. Okay, and it brings me back to the story found in Daniel. You know, the book of Daniel... He, their contemporaries, how we would respond. 
Do we hold on to that position that we've, we've fought so hard for? That we're in a place where we can advise the king, that we're captives, we, we don't have a lot to go on. And so, you know what, if, do I take a risk and stand for God at this point of time? Like I mentioned just now, they would have been in a place where they're wondering, is Yahweh, has, has Yahweh des- deserted us? Is He still the all-powerful God? All I see right now is that Babylon is so powerful with their pagan king, uh, gods, and they're so rich. And this King Nebuchadnezzar built the hanging gardens of Babylon, the, one of the seven uh, wonders of the world in the ancient world. And they were rich and power, all-powerful, and they serve pagan gods. And so you're like, God, am I serving a God that is impotent? And so in that position, they still made their stand for God. You see that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was put into the fiery furnace. They still made that stand when all the stakes were against them, when the stakes were that high. They wanted to pay every cost in order to stand for God. Isn't that amazing? And the verse that, is, that jumps out most at me from, from the, the story about the fiery furnace is not the part where it says God you know, delivered them. There was four people in the fire and then they came out completely unhurt, right? A lot of people will say, that's my favorite part of that story, when God delivers. There's one verse that was so unusual to me and just stuck to me. Every time I read it, it just, just drives like a dagger into my heart. And it says this in verse uh, 18, chapter 3. Uh, it says, Our God will deliver us, but even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How many of you guys focus on that verse? Isn't it amazing? If we were to pray today, let's say we prayed for someone who, who was not well, and we said, God is going to heal you. I am sure of it. Tomorrow you're going to wake up healed. But even if he does not, he's a good God. You know, like you don't add that part into your prayer. And so you're wondering, was it a cop-out? But as you begin to read what they write and the, the, the spirit they wrote it in, it showed me that actually it's another critical dimension of faith that we always leave out. We always talk about the faith that can move mountains, the faith that brings about the miracle, but we don't talk about the faith that says, even if the miracle does not show up, I'm going to spend my days praising God. The even if faith goes hand in hand with the faith that can move mountains. And let me tell you my, my pers- perspective on this passage. If God did not deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe that God would have considered them just as successful. Just as successful as the deliverance story. Because as you begin to read through the Bible, you realize that God has a different measurement to success. That success is measured by faithfulness. And so as 
we begin to reach out to try to be the best version of ourselves. We realize that the best version of you is not measured by visible, visible prosperity. It's not measured by visible breakthrough. It's measured by your obedience and faithfulness to God. We need even if faith alongside the faith that moves mountains. Amen? And so now we finally come to the, the third H. And the third H is that we need to hold on to hope. Finally, we come to this amazing verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When we go through our trials and our difficult moments, there needs to be an authentic hope, authentic deep hope that helps us not to lose heart and to give up in our journey of faith. And this, was, this is a, 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 a hope and a prophetic word that, was, that is released fully acknowledging that season of exile. We can't take this passage, this verse by itself and just say, yes, you're going to have prosperity. Yes, you're going to have breakthrough. Yes, you're going to have your miracle. It's a hope which understands that, that there are going to be seasons where you, don't, don't, you wonder what God is doing in your life at that point of time. Seasons where you're wondering whether there's a purpose to anything you're going through. And at that point, you've got to hold on to hope. You've got to realize that God has a plan and that He has a good plan. He has a plan in, in the exile and He has a plan in the promised land. I was wondering whether to share this story. I grew up. Um, I grew up experiencing a lot of insignificance in my life. When I was six months old, I was sent to live with a different family, and. This family um, lived quite far from my own family. You know, at that time it was about four, four to five hours drive. And so I didn't see my family a lot of the time. Um, and so growing up, it was, it was very difficult for me, but mainly because well, in this family, I think they wanted me for their own you know, the new family, which was supposed to just take care of me for a season. But they began to tell me a lot of lies about my, my own family. They said, yeah, you're here because your own family doesn't love you. you they don't want you. They, you know, they sent you here because they don't want you around at all. I was told that my, my mom was a witch. I was told that my mom didn't give birth to me. I was told so many lies about how my family hated me and did not want me. 
And so by the time I went back to my family, that was the filter that I viewed my world in. Unwanted, unloved, completely rejected. And my own family didn't understand. They didn't know why. And everything they did, I would react. Every small thing, I would react so so aggressively because it would, it would just be a reinforcement just telling me that they didn't love me and didn't want me. Situations that seem so simple would affect me so much. If we were in a car and, and they were talking and laughing and I, I, I wasn't paying attention for a moment, I would ask, oh, what are you guys talking about? What's so funny? And the whole car sometimes would go quiet and they wouldn't answer. And then a while later, they go back into whatever conversation they're having. I don't know why it affected me so much. I mean, in a normal situation, maybe it's just an annoying child. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? Pay attention, man, you know? But I remember this moment being so painful, and I went home in my room, and I just cried. It's like, look at this. My family does not even want to talk to me. I'm just a nuisance to them. And this is how I grew up, feeling worthless, useless, feeling completely unloved. And my, my family would clamp down on me every time I, I reacted. You know, they didn't know what was going on. And the more they clamped down, the more I, it, it sent me a message that I was not wanted. I will go into the story another day, but that's the summary. But when I was 18 years old, I went for a, a camp, I remember. And I remember God began to minister to me at that camp. And in one of the sessions, He began to take me back to some of these lies and say, these are the lies that have been spoken over your life, and I want to heal you today. And I just remember hours and hours of crying out before God and letting Him do that deeper work of healing. I went home and I sat my parents down, just the three of us, and I said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry for the son I have been. I have been a bad son. And you guys didn't know why, and so I began to explain what had happened in the past. I began to explain the lies that have been spoken over my life that I viewed everything in. And, and I just cried before that. I said, I'm so sorry that I've not been the son that you needed me to be. And I remember them tearing as well and just saying, we're sorry as well. We didn't know that you went through this. We didn't understand why you the way you were. And from that point onwards, there's been such a deep healing in my family. If you see us today, you will see such a strong relationship, such strong bonds. You know, every time in my, I'm in my, the house with my mom, in the past, we would just scream at each other. And then I would, I would run away, you know, just crying. And I would run away for a while. She's now one of my best friends. And God did a, a work that I felt, I felt was completely hopeless already. 
I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know the solution. It was such a hopeless situation. But God has brought about such a deep healing. And my family is so strong together as, as it stands today. Amen. Can we just give God a <clears throat> praise offering? We need to know that God has a good plan for us. Not only a plan for the future, but that He has a good plan today. We need to hear from Him directly. We need to honor Him now. And we need to hold on to the hope of what He's going to bring about as well. And when you put it in, everything into God's hands, He can pick up the broken pieces and begin He pieces it together and begins to do such a work of restoration and hope and love. I don't know if you guys were, were, were wondering why this bowl was used in the, in, in the, um, the slides. Can we turn to the next one? This is something that came up and it really spoke to me. Have you heard of Kintsugi or... Uh, or um, Kinsukuroi, anyone before? No? Okay. So in, in, in Japan, there's a method that when the bowl breaks, they don't throw it away. They repair it with a special lacquer mixed with gold, silver, or platinum. And the philosophy behind the technique is to recognize the history of the object, recognize the scars of the pro uh, object, and not hide the scars, but to visibly incorporate the repair into the new piece. The process usually results in something more beautiful than the original. And this spoke to me because this was the process that God took, took my life through. That He was able to pick up the broken pieces and make it into something beautiful. And that's why I can even stand here today. Amen. Can the worship team go up? even as we wrap up. You know, they say that time heals, but if you piece these broken pieces yourself together, you're going to find that, that there are going to be sharp edges that still cut those that use this bowl. And whoever uses it is at risk of, of getting cut. And not only that, where the places have been broken, you find that it's easier to break again in that place, right? And so, some of us are like that as well. If we were to just rely on ourselves or on man or on time to do the work of healing, we're going to left, be left with so many sharp edges. We're going to be left with weak points in the bowl. Or maybe we, we, we plaster over it with cement and... Uh, you know, but then whoever uses after that is this hard, cold, rough bowl that you wouldn't take out to serve, you know, your VIP guests that come. Only God can make it more beautiful through the broken pieces. Only God can do this work of redemption. God has a plan. God has a good plan. He has a plan for your seasons of insignificance. He's a plan. 
He has a plan for you to find your significance in Him. And know that when you place your life in the potter's hand, He pieces it together, beautiful, and He calls you beautiful. We need to stop finding our significance in what the world tells us, not in what other people tell us, not in what even we ourselves sometimes tell ourselves. Our significance is only found in God. He defines our value because He created us. And He calls us His child. And just now, we sang, I know I am who you say I am. He calls us precious. And He calls us beautiful. And He's got a good plan. For me, this is what this verse spoke to me.